I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. Episode 33? Yeah, episode 33. 33. How did we get here? (laughs) (laughs) We come to you from Mokinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsina Nations, the Iahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native-land.ca. Our sources for the show today, history.com and Music Box, Woodstock 99, Peace, Love and Rage, a documentary on Crave by HBO and The Ringer. (laughs) So many names. Right. Yeah. I just want to get credit to everyone because that documentary was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Just a, phenomenal. Because you couldn't believe some of the shit that people were doing. Um, but yeah. B, because of how well the, the documentary was done. Yes, 100%. Yes. Um, so this week, yes, we will be talking about Woodstock. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, like I, I knew about Woodstock 99 because like I, when I said there, the, the Ringer was one of the ones who put it together. I listened to a few podcasts from the Ringer. And so I knew there was that documentary out there. And then my mom had brought up like, oh, you should do a documentary on Woodstock. I was an like, or you, you should do an episode on Woodstock. Well, maybe we should uh, also do it. Maybe we should. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I just kind of like mesh the two together. Uh, so this is going to be an interesting journey through the history of Woodstock. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm quite excited for this one. I'm really looking forward to this. I want to let you know as much of a fuck show as Woodstock 99 was. Yeah. When that documentary ended, I wanted to do a Woodstock. Like, I want to do Woodstock 2025. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, it's, um, we, we were talking, we'll get into it more, but they were going through the lineup and I was like, I would have fucking loved to go into that concert. Oh my God. Holy it would have been amazing. Shit. Yeah. I didn't actually, I should have, uh, I should have, uh, in researching this and maybe I will, we still have the internet while we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see who was at Woodstock 94, but when the, like, yeah, the 99 Woodstock lineup, I was like, oh my God, like that is right in the wheelhouse for... Um, I guess at the time, nine-year-old Peter. Um, so yes, no, I'm I'm quite looking forward to uh, to this one. So just as you are all probably aware, um, this episode coming out a little bit um, a little bit later than we would have liked. Delayed. It's been quite the month here. Uh, we went on vacation, and all we got was a crappy cold. Um, so we <laughs> Good one. we went to Vancouver. I got sick, and then we had like this little period where I was like, "Are you okay? I'm kind of okay. Are you okay?" Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay. And then you got sick. And yep. um, in the times where we sounded sick, each of us sounded terrible. Oh, so, God. I sounded so crap. Yeah. I still kind of can hear it. Like, I still sound kind of stuffy, but bear with me. Right. Um. So, yeah, that was... That, that, that is the reasoning for all of this. But hopefully now our immune systems are stronger. It wasn't COVID, so that's wonderful. Uh, we each got things shoved up our faces. So, Yay. yeah, fantastic. Uh, but thank you for your patience in waiting for this episode to come out. I promise it'll be worth the wait. Mm-hmm. And yes, uh, please rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. Send us an email at wehadnoideapodcast at gmail.com. Yep. Also... Just, this is something I, I think I've made the executive decision. I haven't talked to you about this. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's not that executive. If you don't like it, we can edit it out. That's how this works. I do want to let everyone know that uh, toward the tail end of this, there will be uh, discussions about sexual abuse. And if that is a trigger for you, just be warned that that is a thing that 
remarkably frustratingly and unfortunately comes up at the tail end of this podcast. So yeah. um, just letting you know that. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Great warning. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, let's get into it. Did you want me to list off a couple uh, acts that played Woodstock 94 or should we start with 69? We'll start with 69. We will go okay. chronologically. I would love um, to. Yes. So the Woodstock Music Festival began August 15th, 1969, as half a million people waited on a dairy farm in Bethel, New York <laughs> for the three-day music festival to start. Billed as an aquarium experience. Three an days. Aquarium? Uh, aquarium experience. Sorry. <laughs> You know, honestly, as I was reading, I was like, there's no way aquarium, but I was like, fucking hippies, man. I have no idea. Come and see the fish, man, in Bethel, New York. We're all just fish in this wild world called life, man. Yeah, neither of us are good hippies. The event (laughs) would later be known simply as Woodstock and become synonymous with counterculture movement of the 1960s. I will admit, when we first got into this, I had no clue. That it was in New York. I don't know where I oh. thought. I don't know where I thought Woodstock was. But when it, it was like, oh yeah, it was in New York. I was like, well, it had to be some. Like I, had, I had given zero. Honestly, I kind of thought Woodstock was the place. Like I thought, oh, oh yeah, it was in Woodstock, Iowa, or whatever the hell, you know? Right. Um, like how um the the big country music festival in Saskatchewan, everyone just calls it Craven because it's in Craven, Saskatchewan. Oh. Okay, yeah, that's a, I mean, I, I, I think I knew it was in New York, but if if I had to say, like, if someone was like, quickly, like, where was Woodstock? I feel like my first reaction would be like, Utah, like somewhere with a lot of <laughs> land, you know? I want you to know my first guess to any question, aside from where do the jazz play, is never Utah. Utah! I don't know why that was your default. <laughs> Look, if somebody asked me where the jazz play, I would have said Louisiana. Right, yeah, no no one would guess Utah for that either, that's a no. fair point. But no, I just kind of assumed it was like in some big, like South Dakota or some shit like that, you know? Right. Okay, don't come for me on Utah, Mr. South Dakota. What? What's in South Dakota? Well, I thought Woodstock up until a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Uh, The Woodstock Music Festival was the brainchild of four men, all aged 27 or younger, looking for an investment opportunity. John Roberts, Joel Rosenman, Artie Kornfeld, and Michael Lang. Mm -hmm. Lang had organized a successful Miami Music Festival held in Utah in 1968, (laughs) and Kornfeld was the youngest vice president at Capitol Records. Roberts and Rosenman were New York entrepreneurs Entrepreneurs. involved in building a Manhattan recording studio, (laughs) uh, or probably record studio as well. The four men formed Woodstock Ventures, Inc., and decided to host a music festival. Creedence Clearwater Revival was the first big-name talent to sign on, and gave Woodstock the credibility it needed. I want to know, have you ever seen the rain? Are we going to get copyright for that? Ah! (laughs) Put a candle in I wouldn't push it. (laughs) I've been taken off YouTube for less. Uh, Not less. That's that's not not accurate. Don't go out tonight. Because we're going to get flagged for copyright. Wow. That was a good one. Yeah, no, that was great. There's yeah. also a bad moon on the rise. Everyone everyone loves a free uh, freestyle to CCR. Freestyle CCR. <laughs> I'm going to get that tattooed. Free CR. On you. Yeah. <laughs> 
The initial plan for Woodstock called for the event to be held in Howard Mills Industrial Park in Wallkill, New York. Fantastic name. Yeah. Wallkill town officials, however, backed out of the deal, passing a law that eliminated any possibility of holding the concert in their county. So, you know. There was very a, persnippity. There was a, what did we say a group of old white men is called? Oh. A congress. Yes. There was a congress of white men that were like, oh. A music festival in mm-hmm. our county? Right. N- not in Wallkill. Yeah. Not in Buzzkill, New York, I'll tell you that. They also didn't allow dancing. Footloose. Yeah. Can't tell me what to do, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Woodstock Ventures explored a few other venues, but none panned out. Finally, just a month ahead of the concert, a 49-year-old dairy farmer named Max Yasger. 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 <laughs> Offered to rent them part of his land in the White Lake area of Bethel, New York. With the concert just a month away, the four partners jumped at the opportunity and paid his asking price. By the time people started arriving a couple days ahead of the concert, the fencing, gates, and ticket booths still weren't ready. Which makes us hilarious that uh, I thought of this when I said, oh, they're looking for an investment opportunity. It's like, well, how did yeah. that go? Yeah, how did that? Uh, I'm... I don't know if you call something for free if you make a ton of money at it, but anyways. Right. According to Lang in an interview with The Telegraph, quote, you do everything you can to get the gates and fences finished, but you have your priorities. People are coming and you need to be able to feed them and take care of them and give them a show. So you have to prioritize, end quote. Remember that quote for later. Hmm. With no efficient way to charge concert goers, Lang and his partners decided to make Woodstock a free event. Originally, about 50,000 people were expected. By August 13th, um, at least that number were already camped out on location and over 100,000 tickets pre-sold. As as an estimated, 1 million people descended on Woodstock. Its organizers scrambled to add more facilities. Highways and local roads came to a standstill, and many concert goers simply abandoned their cars and trekked the rest of the way on foot. Eventually, about half a million people reached the venue. In 1969, the country was deep in the controversial... Vietnam War, a conflict that many young people vehemently, uh, I definitely didn't need to leave that in there, opposed. It was also an era of civil rights movements, a period of great unrest and protest. Woodstock was an opportunity for people to escape into music and spread a message of unity and peace. Hmm. That's nice. Also, it was pretty cruel to put Vietnam War and vehemently in the same sentence. Yeah. That really vehemently. got you. Vehemently. Vehemently. Vehemently? Yeah. I hate it when I learn stuff in real time on this podcast. (laughs) I really, it really gets me. Yeah. I'm probably going to leave that in. Yeah, please do. Cut. Although the crowd at Woodstock experienced bad weather, muddy conditions, and a lack of food, water, and adequate sanitation, so just really checking all the boxes. Right. Good thing they prioritized this stuff. Good thing they prioritized that (laughs) stuff. The fences were also shit, spoiler alert. we don't have food, water, or sanitation, but at least we don't have fences. But at least we also don't have everything else. (laughs) Right. The overall vibe was harmonious. Looking back, some people attribute the lack of violence to the large number of psychedelic drugs being used, so that's fun. I I have a question. I probably don't have an answer. Continue. Well, between the two of us, you have the closest experience to this sort of a thing. Um, Your radio station that you work for put on a music festival while you were working there. Hold on. I thought you were going to say to psychedelic drugs, and I was like, no. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> Definitely should have clarified. I take Advil more often than you, maybe? Yeah, that's probably accurate. But, like, th- these kind of things, t- like, you, you weren't, not to, to belittle you or anything, but no, you weren't necessarily, please. like, an integral part of the planning process, but you yeah. were at least around people who were. Yes. This kind of a thing takes, like, about a year's worth of planning. Yes. And they just like threw it together in a month and this is what happens. Well, also like, you know, it's, we started off by saying like, okay, so they decided to run a concert, uh, like a huge festival and they got CCR on board and then people were like, oh, maybe I'll buy a ticket to that. Like, I like that band. And then you kind of build a show around that. That's totally fine. That happens. You announce a show, you're like, it's going to happen on this day and we'll figure it out from there. Right. But you usually have a venue. Yeah, like you're not going to say, well, we have... Pretty quickly. Well, we have CCR, so we better build a fucking hockey rink. Like, No, you, you know? have the hockey rink, and then you book CCR, and then you build the rest of it. Like, it yeah. honestly is. It's it's venue, it's date, or like you pick the date of your biggest headliner. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever they can do, it's like, okay, well, we'll build the festival around that then. Yeah. Like, that's how it goes. And you can book people last minute, but it's like, you know where it is, so you already have talked to that area's... Like, you have a production crew, and you have a fencing crew, and you have security, and you have a medical team, and you already have all that stuff because you know where it's going to be. You've already kind of asked the surrounding community, like, we need these things. Who's the best? Yeah. But only knowing where the show is a month before... It's like, okay, well, anyone that we were going to use in Wallkill, New York, yeah, they're probably not traveling to Bethel. At least, well, at least it was in the same state, right? Like, it wasn't like you were going from Wallkill, New York to Utah. Or South Dakota. Or South Dakota. But it is still, like, far. Like, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of production teams, like, they don't travel. Well, and it's like, food trucks weren't a thing back as far as I know. Yeah. So it's like, it, yeah, it just, it, it was a, a different, a different setup. Yeah. A hundred percent. Volunteer doctors, EMTs, and nurses manned Woodstock's medical tents. Most injuries that were reported were minor, such as food poisoning and wounded bare feet. Oh. However, it is widely reported that eight women experienced miscarriages. One teenager died after being run over by a tractor, and another person died of a drug-related death. Which is extremely unfortunate and... Very, very sad. Yeah. Um, Security was limited since off-duty police officers were banned. It's estimated there were no more than a dozen police officers to keep an eye on 500,000 people. This is something that I wanted to, to kind of bring up, and it feels like now is a good time. Because as we've kind of hinted at, um, Woodstock 99 turns into a gigantic shit show. Yeah. Of epic and tragic proportions. Yeah. And it kind of feels like, I, I don't mean to, um, again, belittle the experience of the eight women who experienced miscarriages uh, and then the teenager who died and then the other person who died from a drug-related death. But overall, out of the million people that were there, it seems like for the most part, things went off very, very well. And it seems like almost all of that was luck. Yes, 100%. And, like, it it seems like, like, Woodstock is, and it, it it's even how my mom brought it up to me, like, how it was just, like, this 
galvanizing whatever and it's this major major moment in history Mm -hmm. from the the late 1960s and kind of like the the main staple of this movement when you think of hippies you think of woodstock when you think of like the the counterculture and the people who were against the vietnam war you think of woodstock yeah and none of it was properly planned all of it was just by sheer dumb luck and the power of psychedelics that this thing <laughs> didn't turn into a gigantic disaster. And yeah. they took that can-do spirit, and by can-do, I mean didn't do shit, and <laughs> took it to two more festivals, and it ended up horribly, as we'll find out later. But it is, it was, uh, it didn't really dawn on me at the time, and then you watch the documentary, you hear the people talk, and one of the guys comes across like the biggest douchebag. Oh, God. Um, But then... You, you look back on it and it's like, A, maybe it wasn't as positive as everyone remembers it, but B, the reason it is remembered fondly is because they just lucked into it and that luck was yeah. bound to run out and it did 30 years later. But we'll yep. get to that. To pick up the slack and help create a safe festival ground, Woodstock Ventures turned to the Hog Farm, a communal pig farm in New Mexico. Its leader, known as Wavy Gravy, threatened to douse people who got out of line with seltzer water or hurl pies at them. Cool. Mm -hmm. The Hog Farm also set up a children's playground, a free food kitchen, and a tent to assist people freaking out on drugs. At some points, the military had to fly in more supplies and a group was frustrated with the prices of food. So they did set a couple food tents on fire. Uh, 32 musicians, a combination of local and world famous talent, performed at Woodstock at around 5 p.m. on Friday, August 15th. Uh, Richie Havens took the stage and played a 45 minute set. Havens was followed by an unscheduled uh, sorry, an unscheduled blessing by yoga guru Sri Swami. You you wanted me to read this paragraph, didn't you? <laughs> and I want to take over immediately after. You yeah. shit. <laughs> I forgot about this, actually. Sri Swami Satchidananda. Satchidananda. Sri Swami Satchidananda. The other performers on day one, a couple of them highlights are... Well... This is the reason I wanted to do this is because my when I was growing up, my mom and I had this thing about how like whose generation of music had the weirder band names. Yeah. Um, So I was very much looking forward to running through some of these. Not all of them are as like wild as they they would get in that time. And admittedly, as I I grow and mature, none of them are as weird as Bowling for Soup, which was (laughs) I I was a big fan of. Uh, But Sweetheart was in here. You had Arlo Guthrie. A lot of them on the first night were just kind of their own name. There's one who just went by Melanie. Um, <laughs> Cher. Right. Yeah, exactly. Wasn't the original Cher. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, Joan Baez closed the show, famously playing the end of her set in a torrential downpour. Day one wrapped up at about 2 a.m. on August 16th. Day two officially began 10 hours later. On the docket that day, Quill... Country Joe McDonald, Santana was there. The Incredible String Band. Yeah, when I read that, Santana, Santana? Yes. Huh. Yeah. Like, um, when the song goes played by Carlos Santana. Yeah, no, 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 I know. That's why I said Santana, Santana. Uh, The Incredible String Band. Mm. Canned Heat, Mm. which was my favorite. Yeah. Uh, The Grateful Dead, CCR. There a candle in a window. Janis Joplin. Sly and the Family Stone, The Who, and Jefferson Airplane. Jefferson frickin' Airplane, man. Day two 
on Saturday concluded at 9.45 a.m. on Sunday. <laughs> oh, my God. They were just like, yeah, man, we're, we're just grooving. Uh, day three started at about 2 p.m. Wow. So four hours and 15 minutes later, Joe Cocker was the first musician to play. Uh, he was followed by Country Joe and the Fish. Hmm. Ten years after, the band, <laughs> Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, uh, Paul Butterfield Blues Band, Shaw Nana, and Jimi Hendrix closed things out. Rain delays prevented him from taking the stage until early Monday morning, and by the time he went on, the crowd had thinned to about 25,000 people. Insane. Right, yeah. Which is still, like, probably one of the biggest shows he's ever played for. Uh, not that he played, like, small shows, but, like, 25,000 people is a lot of damn people. Mm-hmm. Uh, bands who declined, Simon Garfunkel, Led Zeppelin, Bob Dylan, The Birds, The Moody Blues, The Doors, Roy Rogers, John Lennon, Chicago Transit Authority, and Rolling Stones. Hmm. Woodstock officially ended on Monday, August 18th, after Hendrix left the stage. Leaving Woodstock wasn't much easier than getting there. Roads and highways quickly became jammed again as festival goers made their way home. Cleaning up the venue was a mammoth of a task and required several days, many bulldozers, and tens of thousands of dollars. In 2006, Bethel Woods Center for the Arts opened on the hill where Woodstock Music Festival took place. Today, it hosts outdoor concerts in its beautiful pavilion. There's also a 1960s museum on site. And probably just a stoner who never left. Do you think that uh, Max Yasker was like, like, he's getting a cut of this now? Oh, totally. Yeah. Or just took like a lump sum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess he'd be a hundred now, so. Yeah, I was going to say, he's probably dead. He's probably. If we're being, being maybe, honest with ourselves. Maybe his kids or his grandkids are right. Hopefully seeing some of that money. Yes. <laughs> many popular musicians have performed at Bethel Woods, including some who took the stage at Woodstock, such as Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, uh, Santana, Arlo Guthrie, and Joe Cocker. So that puts a wrap on Woodstock 69. Again, mm-hmm. um, all due respect to to those who uh, lost their lives and suffered tragedies at this event. Um, overall, a remarkable success of this time. And like one of those, it's one of those moments in history where like time is marked before and after. Totally. And it's rare for a music concert to get. Like I, it's it's definitely the most famous um most famous concert in the world i would say so yeah 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 it is and and, you know in the documentary we watched um there is obviously it it had its issues there was you know some of the food trucks that were lit on fire um there was the tragedies that happened to people Mm -hmm. and there was uh water shortages but somehow also too much water uh and there was like sanitation issues like the festival had its issues and then obviously cleaning up after it some of the footage i mean you may as well just like put a foot of dirt over that whole place and <laughs> just call it an old landfill. There was so much <laughs> yeah. garbage. Yeah, they weren't really worried about glass water bottles in uh, 1969. There was a whole lot of plastic floating around out there. Yeah. Um, so it did have its issues, but, you know. In terms it, of cultural still, significance, yes, like it's unrivaled. It still is. Um, it still yeah, is and was a massive festival and a massive success. Yeah, and even like they were talking to... Uh, Moby, who it was nice to see. I haven't, I hadn't thought of or seen Moby in a <laughs> long time Moby. on the documentary. Um, but he was like, it's what, like when they asked why he went to Woodstock 99, it's like, it's Woodstock. Like it's, it was this amazing event. Um, 
So anyway, speaking of tarnishing legacies, uh, 1994 actually didn't go too bad. And I believe if I've been watching you Google frantically during the show, um, you have a, a list of some of the people who performed at uh, Woodstock 94? I do, yeah. All right. So there was multiple stages at Woodstock 94. So there was a North stage, a South stage, uh, rave stock. So there was three separate stages. So uh, they were able to book different... Uh, types of bands i guess and have multiple shows going at the same time so they definitely took what they had done in 1969 and expanded on it widely for woodstock 94 right so the north stage on friday uh saw some acts like cheryl crow collective soul violent femmes the south stage saw lunch meat <laughs> fun peace bomb Ruggish Armament. Okay. Okay. Uh, Ravestock on the Friday got a treat from Soul Slinger and DJ Scotto. Okay. That's fun. Mm -hmm. uh, on Saturday, the North Stage saw Joe Cocker. Oh. Fun. Nice. Just getting that Woodstock money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash came back featuring John Sebastian. Take a hike, young. Nine Inch Nails, mm. Metallica, Aerosmith. Okay. Just going to rattle those off. Yeah. The South Stage on Saturday saw Salt and Peppa. Nice. The Cranberries. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And there was no uh, rave stock on the Saturday. Oh, okay. On the Sunday, the North Stage saw Country Joe McDonald. He came back as well. Nice. Spin Doctors. Bob Dylan said yes this time. <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers, Peter Gabriel. Okay. South Stage saw Nanad Back, Green Day, mm. Santana, uh, and apparently ended with Jimmy Cliff's All Star Reggae Jam featuring Rita Marley, Ika Mouse, and Shabba Ranks. Okay. That's quite the mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so this happened in August of 1994, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, just give me one sec. So that is, and this is an important, uh, kind of an important thing they bring up in the documentary. That is five months after Kurt Cobain um, passed away. Mm. And so one of the things that they, they will we'll kind of touch on a little bit more, but like one of the things they talk about, because the difference between 1994 and 1999, just at Woodstock was insane, but just in the world and specifically in music, a lot had changed. Like by this point in 1994, like you're kind of coming out of the grunge era and um, that this concert was kind of viewed as like a bridge between the music from the 69 festival and 1994 music and mm -hmm. so you had like the people who were at woodstock 30 year or what was that 25 years prior yeah who are still kind of old enough to be able to like go to these things and have kids who are old enough to appreciate their music but also like the current music and stuff like that so it was the perfect meshing point yeah um can i say a quick fun fact yes absolutely about woodstock 94 yeah um okay so there was uh, the couple repeat bands that I mentioned. Yep. Uh, also, Jorma Kalk oh, Kalkunen. Okay. 
and Jack Cassidy of Jefferson Airplane, okay, uh, as well as Bob Weir of The Grateful Dead, appeared at the festival just performing a couple songs. Just to be like, hey, nice. remember when we did this in 1969? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nine Inch Nails was considered to have the largest crowd density Nice at Woodstock 94. Uh, and in, there, in the footage from 94, you can see that Nine Inch Nails, the band members, are covered in mud. Mm-hmm. And it's because they wrestled right before their <laughs> set. That's awesome. They just rolled around in the mud and then performed a show. And Trent Reznor uh, was quoted as saying... Um, that he disliked playing such a large show, but he did it for the money. Oh, okay. So the that's true nice. spirit of Woodstock. That's I uh, did it for the money. Yeah. In all, uh, three hundred to four hundred thousand people showed up to Woodstock '94. It was widely viewed as a success. It was, like I said, considered a bridge between the music of 1969 and current day music again in 1994. Mm-hmm. So they decided to do it again in 1999. And this, ladies dun, and gentlemen, done. Is where it goes off the rails terribly. Yeah. Woodstock 99 was in Rome, New York by a lost Air Force base. It had a lot of infrastructure that they needed. The theme was not your mother's Woodstock and security was not exactly tight. So a couple of things on this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rome, New York lost the Air Force base, which meant they lost a lot of jobs, which meant they wanted to bring people to their community. So they decided, hey, let's throw a gigantic rock concert. Let's be the venue for this. The main infrastructure that was set up at this place was the fence to keep people in because that was again an issue back in 1994 where a lot of those 300 to 400,000 people got in for free. But they also have like a lot of like just like big buildings set up for like medical tents and different things like that. The issue, as we will get into a little bit later on, is that it's also a shit ton of asphalt that is everywhere, which when it gets hot is a problem. Yeah. One more note on that security was not exactly tight. Um, I think I cover this later on, but may as well bring it up here. Yeah. They talked about the recruitment process for security. It was, hey, do you want to be security? And people would say, yes, okay, there is a three-hour course and then a test that you have to take. And the guy basically, while they were taking the test, went through the test and told them the answers to give. Yeah. So we're not dealing with the best of the best here in terms of security. I think uh, that we we might get into this later too, but again, why not say it now? Uh, A lot of the security worked the gates on the first day and then just put their security IDs in their pockets and enjoyed the rest of the show for the rest of the weekend. Yeah. So the first day may have gone uh, as best as it could have, but then things quickly deteriorate. Yeah. Um, There were, as I mentioned, it was all on a black tarmac. It was heavily promoted on MTV and also available on pay-per-view. There were two main stages a mile from each other. The whole base was surrounded by a wall, which helped the gate crashing that happened in 69 and 94. Uh, One major issue is that there's about 500,000 people at this place and people were getting lost all over the place. And this is 1999. So there's like three cell phones in the entire place. Mm -hmm. There's there's footage in the documentary of there's uh, like a payphone station. Yes. That was weird to see. Oh, so weird to see. Yeah. At one point, uh, the offspring brought up a bunch of blow-up dolls and called them the Backstreet Boys and hit them with bats. Th- this was a competitive time. If For those who are around, uh, if you go back to 1999, uh, a couple of very prominent music trends were kind of rivaling with each other. One, 
you had the Backstreet Boys, you had NSYNC, you had Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears. It was teen pop. On the other, it was rock and new metal. Mm-hmm. This crowd was very much on the side of the ladder and they were not happy that MTV was there yeah. because they were trending to a more mainstream audience. At one point, uh, Rosie Perez came on the stage. Uh, she of, oh, white men can't jump, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure a number of other things. Uh, she came on the, the stage at one point and the crowd was chanting, uh, apologies, my parents who are listening to this, show your tits. A radio station brought a trailer that had naked women on it and the pay-per-view broadcasts apparently put a lot of focus on naked women in the crowds. Yeah. Again, if you think back to 1999, them's the times, as unfortunate as it is. Uh, They focused a lot in the documentary on Girls Gone Wild and that sort of a thing that was happening. So it was not a banner moment for dudes. Yeah, and there was a lot of nudity at mm-hmm. Woodstock 99. Yes. Uh, male and female, but mostly female. Of course, then cameras are focused on female. Yes. Sorry, we're kind of bouncing around a little bit here. That That's kind of how the documentary started. So I apologize that this might seem a little all over the place. Uh, the lead singer of Korn, who was performing on the, the Friday night, uh, passed out. And EMS responder said that it was the worst disaster he had been to, and he had been to three hurricanes. <laughs> so the issue was that it was really, really hot that weekend in yeah. Rome, New York. And so, yeah, like the lead singer of Corn, A, he's performing in front of 500,000 people. And B, he's doing that, and it's like 40 degrees Celsius out there. Yeah. And then you have all those bodies next to each other. You have uh, $4 water, Mm -hmm. which is the same price as beer at this festival. Uh, I think that they said that water did have to be, it was like a regulated price. So all of the places had to charge $4 for it that were on site. There was a few water stations, but you add 500,000 people and all of a sudden your 10 water stations aren't really effective. Right. Yeah. No (laughs) kidding. Um, At the gates, people who brought water bottles had those water bottles confiscated, but drugs were allowed to slip by. Yeah. If you just gave somebody a 20. Yeah. Now, if you're wondering, well, all these people are camping there, so there must be showers. Well... Hmm. The showers were communal and the men's and women's were separated by tarps and gross men would pull the tarps down to look at the women. It wasn't drowning properly. So people were walking into the showers in knee high water full of people's shower leftovers. Ew, people soup. Yes, all of it disgusting just so gross and so so obviously that's not really a safe space for women to be in so they're not going in there uh and then yeah it just was a whole mess yeah organizers say there was free water available but people were showering in the free water pits it looked like they had like big almost just like like buckets is too small of a word but just like big like things of water like like a like a cold hot tub yeah, exactly. Yeah. With fountains on the side. And then you go right. to try and drink from the fountain hot tub and there's people in it. Yeah. People were like, not just like, oh, jumping in like, oh, isn't this funny? Like full on soap and water showering in the drinking water and not just outside by the hose. Again, jumping in and drinking into it. And then someone busted a pipe and there was mud everywhere. At the same time... <laughs> There were backups at the porta potties. So people were rolling around thinking they were rolling around in mud, a la Nine Inch Nails five years earlier, and they were literally pigs and shit. Yeah. 
just well and that's the thing too so they had you know they they had tried to actually plan this one yeah but some short-sightedness of okay well let's get five hundred thousand warm bodies in the same place yeah in summer on, on black tarmac on tarmac and then let's you know put up a dozen water stations that should be enough yeah and it was the same thing with the porta potties like y- yeah, you saw that like there was yeah there's probably there's probably about a hundred of them and you're like oh that's quite a few porta potties for five hundred thousand people it <laughs> right. is not a no. lot of porta potties yeah, and not that's like, fifty thousand people per porta potty, and not five, <laughs> not five hundred thousand people looking to go to the opera. Like these are, as we've discussed, disgusting human beings. Some of them, and also, it's for four days. Right, it's for four whole days. This is the first day. Mm-hmm. The porta potties are full. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Not okay. No. So they're rolling around in shit mud. There's no showers for them though. Right. Yeah. So you just spend the weekend like that now. Oh. And then if you do want to go, like, in the actual showers, you have to walk in to just, like, a staph infection waiting to happen. Yeah. The 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 biggest ingredient probably in that knee-high shower people soup water oh, was, was probably the shit mud. Shit mud. Oh, the shit mud. Gross. Um, so on the Saturday, they... They tried to, like, break things up a little bit. So Alanis Morissette was playing. Yeah. And this is, we're not cherry picking here, the next three groups after Alanis Morissette on the Saturday night, Limp Bizkit, Mm -hmm. Rage Against the Machine, Mm -hmm. Metallica. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. Uh, The guy who was interviewed from MTV in the documentary said that during Alanis Morissette, you could feel the frustration building up from the angry guys who just wanted to, uh, to quote the Limp Bizkit song, break shit. You know, like you could, you could feel like there was just this like aggressive testosterone buildup in the entire place. And then they just let loose during Limp Bizkit, Rage Against the Machine, and Metallica. The organizer said Fred Durst was an idiot. They tried to calm things down, and he was applauding people, because during um, break stuff, they had people, like, they had, like, these big um, stands set up of, like, screens or whatever, and for, like, to try to keep people away, they had plywood up. Well, people were, during the, like, break stuff, they were breaking stuff and pulling the plywood down and then crowd surfing on it. Yeah. Just absolutely insanity. Right. And I do want to also add in here that Mm -hmm. before, so before Alanis Morissette, we had Dave Matthews Band, before that Counting Crows, before that Wyclef Jean, and then before that Kid Rock. So you wake Mm. up in your dry caked on shit mud. Right. And you go see, first off, the Tragically Hip, Mm -hmm. and then you go see Kid Rock. Yeah. So you've already like... The rage has started. The rage has started. Yeah. And then you end up with Alanis Morissette happening before Limp Bizkit. And yeah, it just seems like it would be a, a wasp hive. Mm-hmm. And in in the lineup for 99, they had one female, just going back to what we were saying about how it was just not a great place to be a woman. Yeah. Uh, there was one female performer every single day. Yes. They like met their quota. Right. Uh, so it just like wasn't a very friendly place for women to be, mm-hmm. including performers. Right. So yeah. honestly, maybe it's a good thing there was only three of them because mm-hmm. 
Because it's just not a good scene. No. Um, after Metallica finished up on Saturday night, there was a rave after, which is where Moby was performing. And that party went all night. So you have people who are going absolutely balls to the wall with Limp Bizkit, Rage Against the Machine, and Metallica. Mm-hmm. And then they go over to the rave and just start, and th- that is not a calm environment either. Um, I would suggest hopefully a like a bit more of a mellow environment, but with those dudes there, probably not. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the things that was like, A, there is very little, it's a, it's a very small sliver on the Venn diagram in the middle of people <laughs> who like Metallica and people who like Moby. Yeah. So the one thought was like, we got, you did the rave thing in 1994, but it's, it's a lot easier to draw a line between Cher- Cheryl Crow and Moby yeah. than it is to draw one between Limp Biscuit. And Moby. Yeah. So that was not very good planning. And then once the rave is done, it's like, all right, we are back at it. Um, unfortunately, one of the focuses of the documentary was on this guy who all he wanted to see was Metallica. And he got like into... Like going to the mosh pit. Yeah, he Metallica. got into the mosh pit um, and he died of hypothermia. The medical staff just assumed he was ODing on drugs. Mm-hmm. And things were getting so rowdy to the point that MTV had to leave because they didn't feel safe. Yeah, I think that uh, Carson Daly. Yes. He got the, uh, like, from MTV and from the producers that had sent him there. uh, They basically said to all staff, uh, you can stay if you want, but we're not responsible for your safety anymore. Like, we are are letting you know that you should leave. And if you choose to stay, whatever happens to you, happens to you. Mm -hmm. Like, we can't protect you. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> okay. That is my time to leave. Uh, yeah, I'll take that cue. Thanks. Yeah, I think they even like they got helicoptered out. It no, was just I don't know if they, they didn't get helicoptered. They like just hopped in the van and just drove. They're like, uh, we didn't even know where we were going. Whoa. We just drove. Yeah. Um. So safe to say, by Sunday, it was a disaster. Okay. Sorry. Can I just say one more thing? Yes. Absolutely. All of the bad shit aside. Yeah. How cool would it have been to see Rage? Oh, man. How cool would that be? Yeah. Well, and it's the thing. Oh, another thing. Um, there, There's a couple other things to, to get to from this. And we're very much bouncing around on this one. So, But that's because this is honestly like, like I said, after we watched this documentary, I was like, I want to do a Woodstock. <laughs> as in host much, it. Much safer than this. Yeah, one. obviously. Yeah, I better wouldn't. Um, if you're one of the performers there, like this has to be the experience of a lifetime. You know, like there are 500,000 people going, they showed a clip from when the tragically hit played and it was Canadian flags all over the place. Yeah. And it's like, as much as they wanted to get on Fred Durst for not calming the, the thing down, being out there while people are surfing on each other with giant boards, that has to be pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it had to be pretty cool. But one of the things they talked about is that this was a, I will say predominantly white crowd. Definitely yes. it was. Definitely. One of the performers on the Friday night DMX. was DMX. And yep. he does a uh, kind of a call and response sort of a thing with his audiences that involves a word that definitely shouldn't be said by white people if mm-hmm. you get what I'm putting down. And he did that and about 500,000 people yelled that word right back at him. And it was uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. And it, they were saying like a lot of the people who were there covering was like, oh, that's not cool. This, yeah. 
this seems like it could be bad. And gives, that was kind it of gives like permission the, to something that you've never had permission for. Yeah, exactly. And that was they, they said that was kind of their first clue that like this weekend might go very. This poorly. is a rowdy crowd that is going to do anything they want. Yes. Um, so to give you a sense of the time frame, um, this concert happened in July of 1999. In April 1999, there was the Columbine shooting. Mm-hmm. There was a group there because they had um, a, a few activist groups at this. To, to kind of have that Woodstock vibe. Right, You yeah, know, exactly. that peace, love, and harmony. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's the same people putting this on, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, yes, they wanted that, yeah, like you said, the peace, love, and harmony vibe. So there was a group that had planned a candlelight vigil for the victims of Columbine for the Sunday night. By Sunday night, some of these people haven't slept since Thursday. They're all hopped up on no water whatsoever. They're covered in literal shit. Um, and they've just been absolutely raging for a while. Mm-hmm. So they are crazy. Instead of a candlelight vigil, the candles are used to light everything on fire. Yeah. They lit the East Stage on fire. Yeah. The Red Hot Chili Peppers were performing at the time. They were asked to have the co- the crowd calm down. Instead, for their encore, they played Fire by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Not exactly um, dousing the flames, shall we say. Yeah. And we talked about this before. How much should be put on the organizers and how like how much responsibility does a band have yeah. for for this? And I, I, I don't think it's none, but I don't think it's lots. You know, mm. like what... They said, oh, we told Fred Durst to try to get them to calm down, and he was an asshole about it. It's like, what kind of response do you think you're going to get if Fred Durst, after saying he did it all for the nookie, uh, comes on and says, like, hey, guys, we've noticed you're being a little irresponsible out there. Let's make sure everyone has a great time at our show tonight. Mm -hmm. He would have got booed, and honestly, the riots probably would have got larger. Yeah, and like you said, just how amazing would it have been to have been one of these performers male of course right uh how amazing would it have been to be one of these performers and then you know you're on the high of your life performing yeah. to five hundred thousand people who are surfing on plywood mm-hmm. and then you're supposed to go out there and say not to right like you're not you're not going to do that yeah and I, I do agree. I think that, you know, maybe something should have been said. Uh, one of the organizers should have interrupted the show, been like, hey, y'all, little rowdy. Yeah. Like, just tried tried anything because obviously it was going sideways. Yeah. And like. And wh- what's the worst that's going to happen? It's going to continue to go sideways. Mm. Like, somebody should have said something. Should it have been the performers? Who knows? Right. Maybe Don't Play Fire by Jimi Hendrix. Maybe. That, yeah. that, was, that felt like a dick move. That That is honestly a little far. Yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe they should have played some CCR. Right. Have you ever seen the rain? Coming down Mm. on a Sunday. Right. They needed rain coming down on a Sunday. They did to wash off all that shit mud. Yeah. Entire sets were being brought down and everything was getting lit on fire. One of the concert goers said at one point, it felt like they had all the power. Yeah. And I I was putting myself in those shoes because like I, I would like to think I would not behave in such ways. Like, I, I don't think I would light things on fire. I, there's a lot of things that happen at this that I definitely wouldn't do. Like, first and foremost. Yeah. But, like, it's Sunday night. You've been at this rock festival. You, you feel like you're just on your own little island. There is no security anywhere. And people are starting to light stuff on fire. Yeah. Again, it would be difficult to be the person being like, oh, guys, 
let's not let a couple bad apples ruin a good time. Yeah. Like, it'd be tough to not get involved and be like, yeah, no, this is Lord of the Flies shit now. We run this place. That you know? literally was what it was like. Right. It would be, again, there, there's a lot of things that happened at this that there's no excuse for, but you can kind of see how people would get caught up in some of the... The mob mentality. Yeah, of the mob mentality. Uh, vendors were being looted. They were ripping apart ATMs and one of the, I believe, organizers drove their Mercedes to the event and they were not able to drive it back because it was lit on fire. There are camera shots from it. It looked like a war zone. Yeah, very um, apocalyptic. Security had decided... Uh, the security that did decide to stay security the whole weekend started hiding their credentials and turning their shirts inside out. They didn't want to have to deal with any of this. Well, I think too that they were um, one of the one of the people interviewed in the documentary was like a head of security, mm-hmm. and he had informed his team. He was like, "Take off your shirts, turn them inside out, do something," because like I'm afraid that you will get targeted. Yeah. So just best to not. <laughs> yeah, and police showed up, and they kind of. Just said, let them burn themselves out, pun intended. Yeah. Like, to just go. And one of the things I was brought up is like, does this look this way if it's a black crowd? Yeah. If, um, if this is a hip hop festival, are right. the police coming in and being like, hey. Yeah. In a couple hours, could you stop? Mm-hmm. No, that is not happening. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yes, it all ends and it's a disaster. Um, in all, I believe three people died at the event. And there were four reports of sexual assault, but dozens and dozens yeah. of others that did not make it to uh, the, the judicial system that were alleged, I guess. And there were um, different help groups and different, uh, the internet's still relatively new at this time, but still different websites like, hey, if you were a victim, let us know and we will try to help you to the best of our abilities. And this was where the one... Um, I guess guy who put this show on completely lost me yeah. where he was like, well, there was only four that were actually like went to court. So it couldn't have been that bad. And really when you see how they were, how they were dressing and how they were acting, they were kind of asking for it. And that, that makes my fucking skin crawl. Yeah. And that is from the person who was in charge of the whole thing. Yeah. So imagine the vibe of the attendees. Right. And the, the Lord of the flies, the literally we can do whatever we want here. Mm hmm kind of mentality yeah. that happened this whole weekend. Yeah. And it I I was really thinking this as it went on. It really was all the world's problems in 1999 and now kind of coming together. You had a bunch of angry white dudes who feel they can do whatever they want. It was too hot. People the things that people need are too expensive or just not accessible and there was plastic everywhere. One of the thing one of the like main frustrations from a lot of the people there was just like it was so greedy. Like the four dollar bottles of water yeah. and like food that was too expensive and everything. It was like this is like a lot of the stuff that you guys back in nineteen sixty nine were fighting against and now you're just perpetrating it. And it's on a military base. Right, yeah, on a military <laughs> base. Yeah, ex- yeah, there's that irony in there as well. And it's yeah, it's just it's fascinating to look back at that time because you think about it and they were talking about the differences in music and the the difference of the generation. Like you still in 1999, you still have a lot of like these kids' parents just controlling everything. And so like a lot of them feel like they don't, and again, I'm not justifying any of this, but like a lot of them don't feel like they have a purpose. So they're just like angry at the world. Yeah. And that's where a lot of this music comes from. And 
it's it has always been a frustration of mine because like I said before, I listen to a lot of this stuff. We could go on my phone right now and there are two Limp Biscuit albums on there, um, as well as Rage Against the Machine and Korn and Metallica. All like that was my jam back then. And I always hated and now. it. Pardon? Back then and now. Right. And it always frustrated me how it was, well, like the the reason people are so violent these days is because of the violent music that they listen to or the violent video games that they play. And it's like I play Grand Theft Auto. I like my favorite sport is the ones where people punch each other in the head. I was a fan of professional wrestling at its most vulgar time and I listened to all of the heavy metal and all of the new metal and anything screaming, I was there. And I am probably uh, conservatively, I would say, like, in the top five for least violent people you would docile. know. Docile. Yeah. I would go ahead and say docile. Yeah. Right. And so I, I always kind of rolled my eyes. It's like, look, it's not that. And then you see what happened here. I was like, oh, that's what you were getting at, huh? Because mm. it, it's like, it, it is every stereotype you could have for someone who listens to Kid Rock played out for 500,000 people for three days in New York. Yes. And as a nice little wrap up to this, a few months later, Coachella started one of its inaugural uh, years Mm -hmm. and free water was given to every single attendee on their way in. Right. Funny how that works, hey? Funny how lessons are learned, Mm -hmm. which again, and I know we just said that Woodstock 99 was a shit show. I think that Woodstock 2025 (laughs) in Canada Right. Could be pretty cool. I think there's actually a place called Woodstock, Ontario. <gasps> well, I guess we have our venue and it certainly is not in Utah or South Dakota. Yeah, there's a city of uh, city of Woodstock in Ontario. It is a city in the southwest part of Ontario. The city has a population of 40,902. Could you imagine they they 10 times their population <laughs> for a weekend? Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's just as someone who enjoys that type of music, it's it, it always frustrated me that there was like this, like oh well, what? And even I brought it up on a, a show that I used to work on. I was like, oh, you were an angsty kid then. Hey, it's like, well, not. I mean, kind of, but like not, <laughs> not to this level. And it's just like, yeah, it's just every stereotype. And well, then you, you might have been an angsty kid, but you still had morals, and you still right. were like, you know what? Like, I don't think there's really a good situation in which I do these things, Mm -hmm. in which I pull stuff down, crowd surf on plywood, light shit on fire, sexually assault women, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's really uh, yell the N word back in the giant crowd. Like there really is no situation where any of that is okay. Yeah. No. And and maybe, maybe they felt like they were like, woo, no laws. Right. But it's like, no, they still very much apply. Yeah. This is, this isn't Lord of the Flies. This is, this is a music festival Mm -hmm. that you've lost your shit at. Yeah. And then rolled around in it. And then pulls your friends to roll around in it, too. Right. And then you went to the communal shower to shower it off and stand in it together. Oh, God. Uh, but no, like, it's it, it looked like just an absolute disaster. Yeah. The, the whole, whole thing looked like an absolute disaster. Yeah. They tried to run again in uh, 2019 for the 50th anniversary. But yeah. that show was canceled at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I mean, quite frankly, maybe all of them should have been, but two of them actually worked out. Yeah. But one of the things I thought was interesting, I know we're kind of going long on this one, but I just, I was so fascinated by this documentary. And I'm sorry mm-hmm. I've taken over the last half of this show. But, no, please. Um, they they kind of bring up, because 1994, again, went perfectly, basically. 
Um, and then 1999 was an epic fireball disaster yeah. covered in shit. And you really, you look at the differences in where the world was at 1994 to where it was in 1999. And they were talking about like how the grunge movement kind of in music gave people a voice. And the only voice you could have in 1999 was either like a poppy Britney Spears or new metal and Limp Bizkit mm-hmm. and all of this. And so it, it like when Kurt Cobain died, it really did kill a lot with like he took a lot with him. Yeah, and, like the ethics of grunge. Yeah, exactly. And again, just like the the place that people had, and it was I I, I can't recommend the documentary enough. But yeah. when you it really is when you think back to 1999, like you think of like there's girls going wild, and mm-hmm. like television was a whole lot different. Even the the world that I I love of professional wrestling was a lot more vulgar mm-hmm. in 1999. Like you have people giving the middle finger to people, and you the women's wrestling was a whole lot different then than it is now. Yeah, and and those types of things and like tell yeah just everything was just different and people are discovering that sex sells yep and there's no regulations around it yet right and you have this group of like again like 21 year olds who are entering the workforce and it's like they're like the the previous generation is still holding on to everything and so it's just like you'll you'll get your turn so it's like they're just they're angry, but there's not really anything to be angry at necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so it just all kind of built up. Uh, again, not excusing any of the behavior. I don't want any of this to come across. Like just horrible, repulsive things happening there. And yeah. if you partook in some of that, like just shame on you. Yeah. But no, uh, it's just, it's, it, it, you, you don't think of it, but 1994 and 1999 feel like, entirely different planets when you look back at like what is going on in the world at that time totally to wrap this up i would like to know mr peter klein okay uh one show from 1969 94 99 one uh act that you would love to see Ooh. Mm -hmm. and okay i I can go first because i've been thinking about this and i'm like springing this on you now go for it so my initial reaction is rage. Yeah. But they happen to be coming to Calgary. Right. So that is a band I could see. Yeah. Uh, my next is uh, the Cranberries, which is mm-hmm. a band I could not see. Nope. No, that one's... That, that one's... That, that one's sealed. You're not seeing them. But I think what I'm going to go with, Salt and Peppa. Okay. I think that'd be so cool. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I think you could see... I think they came to Calgary a couple years ago. Yeah, I think they did. And like a dummy, I didn't go. Right. Um, Okay. So that... Sorry, they were at Woodstock 94. Yes. So I'm only picking one? I thought I was picking one from each. Oh, one from each. No, I hadn't considered that. I just... One for all of it. Oh, one for all of it. You're number one from all of it. Because let's be honest, CCR, obviously I'm a huge fan. Right. That'd be pretty but cool. Like Jimi Hendrix. The come way on. You were, the way you were singing it, I feel like I w- I've already seen them in person. Yeah. I mean, you basically just got to, everyone right. listening got a free concert. <laughs> yeah. Tell your friends, download this episode and you'll basically hear a CCR concert. Okay. When I was thinking of it while you were giving me time to think, I was thinking of one from each. Um, so I okay. guess those would be my finalists. Um, so from 69, man, Jimi Hendrix, like it's tough to I pass know. that up. But like Santana would be amazing. Also Jefferson Airplane. Okay. You're not a big fan of that? I didn't that, get the vibes. That felt like a, one of these things is not like the other, but all right, I couldn't tell if you were joking or not. No. Oh, my God. Okay. That would be so cool. Sure. Um, 
I like a lot of them for could you imagine seeing Janice Joplin in person? Could you imagine seeing Joe Cocker? Again, I can't tell if you're joking or not. That one was a joke. Okay. That one was a joke. <laughs> you, you literally yeah. could like three times. Um that was another thing they brought up. They um one of the bands on Woodstock ninety nine, uh Dave Matthews band, which does not seem to fit the vibe. No. Um, That's n- that doesn't make my list. I'm they, sorry, Dave Matthews Band. Yeah, they brought up a dude from the doors and they're like, no one gave a shit. Yeah. Um, because yeah, no different no crowd gave a shit. by that point. <laughs> um or sorry, it wasn't from the door. It was from someone else who was actually there. Maybe someone from the Who. But I'll say I'll say Jimi Hendrix. I can't pass that up on from 1969. Okay. I, I from 94. Okay, well, then my 1969 is CCR. Okay. I'm going to lock it in. Okay. Final answer. Okay. From 94, I think it would be hilarious to see, not hilarious, but we just heard them in the bar the other day. Spin Doctors, <laughs> just to, to hear Two Princes, I think would be fun. Yeah. But I think the obvious answer from 94 for me is Green Day. Not Aerosmith. Or Metallica. Oh, Aerosmith would have been good. No, I would put Green Day. Man, Metallica puts on a hell of a show. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Write in to us. We had no idea podcast at gmail.com. Right. Who would you want to see? Yeah. This is obviously, I'm just planning now for (laughs) Woodstock 2025, but. You have to, like, Green Day in 1994 is a whole lot different than Green Day now. Like, that that would have been quite That's true. You're seeing them at the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're not walking down a lonely road with green day it's yeah. basket case and all of that right so yeah that would have been pretty so i'll i'll lock in my answer of green day there okay, and then yeah, i will go salt and pepper it is it is tough to not say rage even uh-huh. though they are coming here honestly creed as, as, as yeah <laughs> man scott stapp talking normally messed me up entirely like the, I thought he would just talk like that. Like I thought he would have just a raspy voice. Like, but he just talked like a regular dude. I was like, where the hell does the, the come where from? Where his then? Yarl? Where yeah. does his Yarl come from? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no, I'll say from 99, it, it probably is Rage. I am embarrassed to say that, um... Like Limp Biscuit would probably be my runner up. Yeah. Although, you know, like DMX would have been unbelievable. I yeah. DMX is he's either one or two for me. Yeah. But I, I will stick with Rage. Yeah. In that spot. Okay. I am gonna go. Ugh. But like could you imagine? Like when know, Kid sorry, Rock this is hard. Like when Kid Rock gets to the like after the intro part of My Name is Kid and then Kid Rock and the like guitar no, starts going into I'm not going to give you that That one. crowd would be incredible. <laughs> I can't decide. <laughs> DMX. You asked the question. I know, I know, but I didn't even consider doing one from all of them. I just kind of dismissed 99 because I was like, it's too tough to tell. Right. I wouldn't want to just airdrop myself into 99. No. I. <sighs> Alanis Morissette. I know, honestly, I'm kind of tempted. But she toured like a year ago. Right. And then I'm like the tragically hip at that time. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. And also shit hasn't gone super sideways then yet. Right. I would kind of want to see Alanis Morissette just to see the vibe of the place. No, I'd even be down for Jewel. Yeah. That'd be so vibey. I'm going to go DMX. Yeah, that's probably the call. That's I'm going to go DMX for the only reason... Well, okay, it would be Rage than DMX, but because I could still see Rage, yeah. I'm going to go DMX. That's probably a good call. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems like one I can't pass up. Yeah. Well, this was a lot of fun. This was insane to learn about. I am going to throw it here too. We um we also use the websites woodstockstory.com, mm. uh, woodstock.fandom.com, and www.afgrant.com. All right. So that's where I got all my set lists from. I didn't just memorize the set lists. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to tell us who you would go see, yeah, at We Had No Idea Podcast on Instagram, We Had No Idea Podcast at gmail.com. We got to stop this because I'm now starting to think, who would we put on for a Woodstock now? <laughs> we will discuss this off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends to download. Tell your mom to download. Tell your best friend to download. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Okay, bye.